Welcome to Mad Toast Live, recorded in front of a live audience. We're at the Brink Lounge, 701 East Washington Avenue, right down the hill from the Capitol Building in Madison, Wisconsin. We're your hosts. I'm Mary Gaines, and this is Chris Wagoner. Thanks so much for coming. This is going to be the first of a two-part episode that we're doing with uh, world-class players here. We're excited to have them both on the show. Here tonight with uh, Christian Howes and Federico Lechner. Oh, that's it. Now we just play? I thought we were going to talk. Yeah, I know. It was like getting all... Um, we're going to start with uh, a tune of mine. Oh, first of all, just to make sure that everybody knows that this is like a Valentine's theme concert. So we're, we're playing a lot of like uh, stuff that we consider to be kind of mellow or romantic or whatever. So just free to get your mellow thing on. This is a tune I wrote called uh, Trains Maiden.
thanks for being on the show with us tonight, this afternoon, today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for yeah. giving us the opportunity to drive 12 hours both ways <laughs> in the snow. <laughs> Not exactly 12, I think it was about 10. It was something you needed to do, though. Totally, yeah. yeah. Well, you guys were here Friday night here at the Mid Midwinter Midwest Gypsy Jazz Swing Festival. I imagine some of those people were, too. That's when we were playing the music that people like. <laughs> <laughs> Doing stuff that uh, you know, people can relate to, and now we're here to do the, our art. Yeah, I thought I made that clear on the posters, but <laughs> people still care. But this is great. So Christian Howes and Federico Lechner. How long? You guys have been playing together for about 10 years? Or more. Or yeah. more? Okay. Maybe 12 years, 11, something like that. Yeah. A, few, uh, seed, a few recordings under your belts together? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we've, done, uh, we've done some uh, recording. We started out with a record called Jazz on Sale, and that was when we kind of were taking jazz tunes and trying to approach them in like a kind of backwards ways, like, you know, like classical players playing jazz music or just doing kind of weird things with this jazz music. And then after that, we started making all these records of classical songs with improvisation. So we've always been looking for this kind of stuff that people in Europe, they really like it. In the States, I think they hate it. But, <laughs> but um, Are there pockets, though? Do you find like different, different areas in the States that are <laughs> like Madison love it? They're, we're here. Yeah. We haven't done any of that yet today. Oh, okay. So. Well, let us know. <laughs> we, that, they, <laughs> well, classical music is technically, it's European. So there, right? Jazz, yeah, that's is, jazz true. is American idiom. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, it's funny because some of the, we'll do some of this maybe today. We'll do some Bach or something. Yeah. Can you get through that Bach, that one Bach that we did? Maybe we're going to try. Yeah. We could do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, because a lot of times you do have, um, players that jazz musicians who have taken classical music and then like just put like a swing beat to it and like yeah. cool now let's make it swing. So we wanted to do something a little bit different, like when we actually kind of improvise in the classical style mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, and it's nice to play with other classically trained jazz musicians because we can kind of go back and forth. Like, like Federico can really get like all those classical things on yeah. the piano, and, which you don't necessarily get from a jazz player. Right, so it's not like you're, uh, I mean, you're not, quote, faking it. You've, you actually play in these different idioms and understand the whole language of them. We try, yeah. And try. Then we, we yeah, try that's to, a challenge, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Now, Chris, your, your background, though, for, for violin players out there, you, you studied, I mean, hardcore classical study training since you were a little kid, right? Yeah, I, uh, definitely. I was a hardcore classical player, still, and still kind of in. I mean, when I practice for a couple, you know, I can get yeah. that classical stuff together. Actually, I'm doing some concertos just this last year. I did played uh, Symphony Espanol with three different orchestras. So yeah, that was really fun. Wow. How did you choose the violin as opposed to other instruments? I didn't choose it. I was five years old. My parents, you know, I can't really remember, but they got me involved in the Suzuki program. <clears throat> I mean, my parents were young when I was born. They were like 20. They were in college, and they would, were vocal majors. They thought they had to change that, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was like their consolation prize was giving me lessons. And um, but I, I'm trying to remember this great quote from Emmanuel Axe. Emmanuel Axe. I heard him say one time that he thought that kids usually aren't don't have this like natural love for music when they're like four or five years old. And that it, 
it's kind of our job to like bring them into music and hope that eventually they um, develop a love for music. And I really love that because as a parent, I think it can be confusing because uh-huh. you hear stories about like, yeah, little Johnny was like inseparable from his violin since he was three years old. And then, so if your kid doesn't like manifest these like, you know, these strong mm-hmm. desires, for, then you think, well, I guess it's not really in him. You know? But I think those are kind of, that's like a lot of yeah. mythology. I really think it's like what, what Emmanuel Axe said is true. Like if you have a kid and they're three or four years old, you should start them on an instrument if you want them to learn about music. Because later on, it's, it's too late. You got to start them then. And, and if they don't want to do it, you do have to force a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's healthy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I actually totally agree with that. Now, when I mean, you say force, yeah. what exactly well, do you mean by force? You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay, now. Well, we can go that way. We, no, we don't have to. So, so your parents put you in a in a box with a violin, and <laughs> yeah, right. and they right. said, "This is what you're going to do for the next 24 hours." Well, when I was so. eight, I remember one time my mom was having a real hard time getting me to practice, and which was pretty common. And so she called my dad in the big guns, and he came down, and you know he said, "Okay, so if you don't want to practice, that's fine, but I'm taking your violin, and, we're, and that's it." You know, and so I made my own decision for myself at that point when I was eight years old. That was the first time I decided I'd rather practice than not have my violin. So you know, there was some there was some uh, right. balance there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And learning also, I mean, I, I like the analogy too. Of, I was watching the workshop a little bit that you were doing with the violin players, and the idea of jazz as a language. I mean, all of this, all these musical idioms are a particular language, and uh, obviously we know that. Kids learn languages best when they're really young before it's, there's too much other stuff in our heads or something, right? And so before the inner assimilating all of this stuff is easier when you are a little younger. Yeah, I've heard that, that actually that part of your brain that receives language and tra- or, you know, translates it or whatever is, is at its best, basically, between the age of two and six. I mean, I don't know if that's a fact, but I've heard it. it was, somebody yeah. said it with a lot of authority. Right. So if you're out there, you're listening, and you're seven years old right now, um, I don't know. Over I don't know what to tell yeah. you. <laughs> Forget about it. No. Yeah. No. Obviously, you can start at any age, but... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to say, the, the, three, the three CDs that you guys are on together, Classic, right? Uh, 2003 with Federico. Um, what else? Jazz on Sale. And there was one other one I think I'm missing. Am I? Well, I have one quartet uh, CD with my music that increases the soloist of the okay. whole CD. And then we have the classic volume two that it's uh, mixed, uh, of course, recorded, mixed, yeah. mastered. We have the design, but we don't have it physically yet. Okay. And Federico is heading back to Madrid, is that right? Tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. We'll miss you. Yeah, <laughs> Thank I, you for coming. I will come back. All <laughs> right. But originally from Argentina, right? Grew yeah. Up, and and, uh, and you are in Madrid, and you have a wonderful you have a wonderful group. It's tango and jazz yeah. trio, and you guys have got it here. You can go to FedericoLechner.com. It's uh, you can go on our website and figure out how to spell that. It's all over the room here too. But um, we've got flyers by the yeah. door. So. But it's a it's a harmonica player. and It's really cool because you know we're used to hearing the classic accordion or bandonian or something like that with the tango, Astor Piazzolla, yeah. etc. But the harmonica really has that sound yeah, yeah, completely. in a way, and it's, it's very unique. And we were laughing at breakfast this morning that I, it's the first time I've ever seen a harmonica player with music in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere, but... <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys going to play some more? 
We're gonna do Please. Viva Ponga. Okay. Is that what we're doing? Well, we're going to play one of the of the pieces I play with my tango jazz project with the trio and also with Franco Luciano with this harmonica player. Uh, this is um, a composition that came out while I was trying to study some bebop scales. Uh, I couldn't make it, but I was inspired uh, to write this piece that it's a, a milonga, that it's an Argentinian rhythm uh, that belongs to the tango world. Uh, so I wrote this milonga with these bebop scales that I uh, entitled Bebop Ponga. Thank you. 
wanted to ask you earlier about, and we actually talked about it a little bit, this, for all the classical violinists out there, and talking about the, the language of music, but then also the technical language. Um, how do you get from, because I know a lot of people have a problem with this, a lot of classical players that want to know how to improvise, get hung up or, or have trouble with getting from, transitioning from the, the technical language of classical music to any other idiom, idiom it'd be bluegrass or, or jazz. What helped you find a way, are there, is, is it a whole, is it a new language in terms of how you approach the instrument or the way you hear, who you're listening to? That's a great point. Um, of course, education is really, really a big part of what I do. I have an annual camp called the Creative Strings Workshop just for string players who want to improvise, and they come from all, all around the world to Columbus, Ohio. We're going to do it this, this year, June 21st, 26th. Um, but I spend a lot of time working with classical players, and the single, the, the easiest answer I can give to your question is this. When classical musicians learn about music, they're really learning about playing their instrument, and they're learning about interpreting music, but classical music education is, is missing some things. It's kind of operating out of a deficit, really. And there's three main things that it's missing. One is that it's not encouraging and teaching um, creativity in the form of improvisation and composition. Number two is it's not giving like useful practical theory. Mm -hmm. It's not explaining how music is put together, like in the simple way that like a car mechanic should understand how to take apart a car and put it back together. We're not learning that in classical music education. And the third thing is just having an appreciation for a wide swath of different styles. So the reason that it's hard for string players uh, to play other styles and, and to improvise is because of these three things. Um, and I, I would say all that can be wrapped up in terms of like the idea of a culture of education, if you will. So we have a different culture of learning rock and roll, for example. Yeah. Rock and roll musicians, they learn music in a different way. Or like gospel musicians or like folk musicians, like, like uh, old time fiddle players, for example. They learn yeah. music in a totally different way. So there are strengths and weaknesses which come with each of those. What I'm trying to advocate is that classical music just kind of like get on board and like pick up these other things that they've been missing. Of course, there's a cycle where all the teachers are scared to teach stuff that they haven't learned themselves. Sure. And, you know, mm -hmm. but that's, that's starting to change and, uh, and that means that for string players, we're seeing string players like you, like you and Mary, and a lot of the people here in town read and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, different string players that I've met everywhere that are having more of a creative lifestyle as musicians, which is what I want for all of us to be able to do. As musicians, we should be free to kind of express our own ideas and, and not always feel limited to just yeah. playing within an orchestra or something like that. You know? I remember hearing, uh, like studying here in Madison, studying at the university and playing classical music, and uh, walking down State Street and seeing like a sax player playing on the corner and going, oh, it sounded so free. I didn't know what they were doing, but it, it really tripped my trigger that they were, there was no one backing them up, but you could still hear the essence of this song. They knew how to play around the chords and you could still hear it and it was cohesive. And it was really cool. I thought, that's, that's what I want to do. That was one, that's one of the moments for me, I think, yeah. was that. Yeah, exactly. And I had a similar moment, you know. Um, and it's funny because to mention the image of a saxophone player on the street corner, mm -hmm. um, and this idea that I have about the culture of music, I think it's apropos because we would never think of a violin player standing on a street player 
certainly not a classical musician. So yeah. we have all these, these almost archetypal like images in our mind that we associate with classical music versus like folk music or versus jazz music. They all have their own context. Like classical music happens in a concert hall, yeah. and like folk music happens on a back porch, and like jazz music happens in like a dive club. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. part of the this kind of. I don't know. It's almost like a segregation. There's a separation that happens between these different things. I'm I'm really a real believer in more integration. Yeah. You know, coming together of these different styles, of musicians being able to work together and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and but, and you're in integrating technology too. I noticed. Uh, I mean, it was it's subtle though. You probably caught that. You know, the the octave thing. That was cool. That was can cool. I can I confess something about that? Sure. Well, this box is kind of old, so every once in a while it just like activates. Like oh. I didn't do it, so it, it just, it, just it, it like just started the octave thing, yeah. and I was like, well, since that happened, now I have to do something on purpose. So then I went to the higher octave. And then, Hal, open the door, Hal. Hal. I'm actually reading 3001 right now. Anyway, irrelevant. <laughs> Ghost of the Machine. That's exciting. They should come up with a box that's like all the randomizer. And you just don't yeah. know what's going to yeah. throw at you. Yeah, you just yeah. got to play with that's it. Good. Huh? <laughs> I think it's been done. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. If you're just joining us and you're on the radio or the podcast, we are here with Christian House and Federico Lechner. You're listening to Mad Toast Live. And now we're going to hear some more music. We're going to do another one of Federico's... Comp well, you should announce it. You speak good English. Sorry. Well, this is a composition I wrote for a girlfriend I had. Um, but it's based... The composition is based on a... How do you say? Tongue twister? Tongue twister, yes. In, in English, yeah. Um, I made it... Because I call her Esba, and so I... As a joke, I told her that it's bags, 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 baggy, like you know, like the Bugs Bunny, pal. No? <laughs> so uh, once I promised uh, to a uh, composition to her for her birthday, she was so happy with the idea. But her birthday came and I had nothing written. <laughs> so I was at the piano, sitting there. Oh my, what what can I what can I do? What is the easiest? piece to write for a jazz musician, a blues, of course, no? but what can I do with, with a blues? Uh, so I thought about this uh, phrase, this tongue twister I, I did to her, and I put music to that. So I made a tango blues, so it's a blues with a tango rhythm, and based on this baggy. So the title is baggy, but also known as esba. Es ba, es ba ba, es ba ba ba, es ba 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 ba. Baggy. Baggy. You'll hear it in the melody, listen for that. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
So Federico told a little story about how he wrote that song for his uh, a girlfriend. I wrote this song for a girlfriend, who's now my wife. And uh, it was one of those, this is worth telling, although I might not do it justice. But um, <clears throat> one of those moments, you know, when you're hanging out late, you just met somebody, and you're like hanging out, and then a song comes on the radio, you know, and it's like the beginning of that song is, um, mm. <laughs> again you recognize that it sounds it's most done on the guitar originally but anyway after that intro came in we were just hanging out we had, you know we had the radio on had been on softly you know kind of and then at the same time we both started singing it's not time to make a change or whatever you know and it was like that kind of moment where everything locked in for it. I was like yeah I like this girl you know this is cool we got a thing you know so later on <laughs> so so later on, <laughs> this was like 11 years ago. So I've been with my, now we just got married a couple years ago. We have a, we have a kid together and everything. But uh, so. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, so, so anyway, that's how this song came out. You'll hear some little moments where you can tell like, like the, the, this, that we came from this motif. You'll recognize something like that. And then also this kind of stuff. So. It's called When She's Like Water, and it's for my wife, Colleen Dalton.
Thank you guys so much. That was beautiful, beautiful music. You can listen to lots of different audio samples on both of their websites. You can go to christianhouse.com. It's H-O-W-E-S, and you can go to Federico Lechner, L-E-C-H-N-E-R.com, and you can find out all the different recordings that they have. And uh, this is just part one of a two-part series with these guys, so please listen to part two, and if you're in the studio audience, stick around. Special thank yous tonight to Mr. Andy LaValle, podcast producer and uh, front of house sound engineer. Uh, Mr. Stephen Ellistad for loaning us the piano. Mary Gromnicki for sales up front here. Thanks to the Brink Lounge, 701 East Washington Avenue. And, and many Special thanks. thanks to WORT, um, HD, etc. 89.9 FM here in Madison, Wisconsin. Back Porch Radio. All right. Thanks to you. Thank you.